I'd like to dismiss the children for Children's Church. It's ages 3 to 7. So we're going to continue our series today, Neighbors That Jesus Loved. It's a series that I'm learning a lot about our Lord and a lot about my lack of loving my neighbor as myself. It will be in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Hear God's word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you for this woman in history that God would probably not even be noticed or recognized, God, in any culture in the world. God, probably just seen as a face among the crowds, Father, and we thank you that you have used her in her life to show us what great faith is. Father, would you honor the preaching of your word? Would your spirit make clear the scriptures? And would he change us and give us a greater faith? In Christ's name, amen. Tim Keller says, To be in mission means to be sent. Jesus' mission was to reveal the truth of God's character and to save mankind from destruction. A Christian is the one who has been drawn into a healing relationship with God in order to be sent out to reveal His image and saving grace to others. We talked recently about how Jesus is always going to different places and He's always interrupting people's lives. And it's no different in this passage. It says in verse 21, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Where is there? Where where is Jesus moving away from? There is the region of Galilee in northern Israel, most likely the area near the northeast end of the Sea of Galilee, near the cities Chorazin and Capernaum and Bethsaida, Jewish cities, places where Jesus had done most of his great works. I'll read you a passage in Matthew 11, verses 20 and 24, and this is what God's Word says. It says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it is more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have, re it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So the thing that we need to understand from this passage and from God's Word is Jesus is moving out from a place that should have had great faith. He's moving out from a place that should have recognized the Messiah as being the Messiah. It's the place where He spent most of His time doing most of His miracles. It was the Jews. Those people who had God's promises those people who had the prophets and had God's Word, those that had been given the law, had been given the right way to worship, and the Messiah Himself was a Jew. So Christ is moving from a place which should have recognized Him and should have honored Him. And He's moving into a place of Tyre and Sidon, an ancient city of Phoenicia, modern-day Lebanon, a place that has stood opposed to the truth of God and the plans that He has, stood opposed to His people for thousands of years. You may recognize them better if I say the Canaanites. A pagan culture, wicked, adulterous, wanting nothing to do with God, nor His people, nor His promises, nor His plans. They were descendants of Noah's grandson, Canaan, from his son, Ham. Broadly speaking, you've probably heard of them as the Hivites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, all the places that you could find. There'd be no faith, great darkness, this is the place that we find Jesus moving into. You know, we often talk about the nature of God. His character as being a God who moves into places that are full of darkness. He moves into places of chaos and He brings order and He brings hope and He brings life. This should be the characteristics of God's people. This should be what you and I do, moving into places that no one would very rarely go. Places and spaces that are foreign to us. Their food is foreign to us. Their dialect is foreign to us. The way they go about life is foreign to us. It makes us uneasy and uncomfortable. And in a city where there's 50-50 black-white, Yes, it means to move into the neighborhoods across the tracks. That's where Jesus went with the good news of the gospel and the love of Christ. And when he got there, like Jesus always does, it says, Behold, 
He sees the person that no one else sees. Behold, a Canaanite. And it's not bad enough that she's a Canaanite. She's a woman. She's an outcast. She's an enemy of God. No one has to tell her she's lost. She knows who she is. A pagan. Opposed to God and His promises and His goodness. She understands she has no rights, no privileges, no reason to even be talking to Jesus. But the thing that's so amazing is that she knows God better than the Jews. She knows God better than the disciples. She recognizes the Messiah and who He is. Her cry is, have mercy. And if you think about Exodus 34, 6-8, where God passes in front of Moses, and He says, I'm going to declare my name, and He says, a God of mercy, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. She's not there demanding of Christ. She's not there because she thinks she deserves anything. She's not a give-me-my-rights American. Isn't that how we are? She's humble. She's broken. But she's bold because she knows the God of the universe. She knows Jesus. She's like the leper in chapter 8 of Matthew. Have mercy, God. Have mercy. She's like the centurion. Hey, Jesus, don't even come under my roof. I'm not even worthy to have you step into my house. Just speak the word. One pastor says, Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. And this woman, this woman who's a Canaanite, she knows humility. She knows brokenness. And she knows her Savior. Do we know God like that? Do I know God like that? Do you and I come to God like that? Crying, mercy, mercy. Or do we come and say, God, I deserve. You owe me. This should be mine. We have much to learn from this Canaanite woman. What brings her to Jesus? Many times, what brings us to Christ Crisis, family crisis. Her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But it's not always crisis. Ben and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. Sometimes it's a baby being born. And you realize, I don't know how to raise this baby. 
and it moves you to Christ and it moves you to see your inadequacies. What drives you to Jesus? What moves you back to the cross? Do you count it a blessing? Maybe it's an unrelenting disease. Maybe it's a sickness, a tragedy. But mark my word, any suffering that pushes you back to Jesus is a blessing. Any thorn in your flesh that pushes you back to Christ, consider it pure joy. Because Jesus is the only place that holds. He's the only place when the storm comes that the anchor doesn't shift. So if you're going through a hard time, or maybe even a tragedy, and it pushes you back to Christ, rejoice. God loves you. God loves you. Verse 23 says that Jesus did not even answer her a word. One of the early church fathers said this, The Word had no word. The fountain was sealed, not a drop of water for this woman. The physician holds back his remedy. Jesus did not answer her a word. Most of us would have left right then, wouldn't we have? Most of, most of us deserving, privileged Americans would have left right then. Too proud, right? Jesus didn't even answer a word. She's crying out, have mercy, have mercy. And he just looks at her. When heaven is silent, when God's word God's courts don't speak a word to God's citizens. It's not to destroy us. It's not to discourage us. It's to make us draw up closer to Christ. It's there to make us push into Christ and know Him more. That we might know Him face to face, right? No answer. No deliverance. No rescue, not to lay us low, but to present us perfect in Christ. Job understood this, right? Job 13. Listen what Job says as he goes through his great struggle. Why dost thou hide thy face and count me an enemy, God? Not a word from heaven. David in Psalms 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry day and night, but you do not answer me, and I find no rest. Has God ever sounded silent to you? Have you ever gone through such a deep place that you're like, God, where are you? Do you love me? God gives her not a word. Nothing. 
If that wasn't enough to rock her faith, then Jesus says this, I was sent only to the sheep, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're not included, woman. It's not your time. I must not divert from God's mission. God sent me to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It makes me think of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, talking to a non-Jewish church. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember at one time you were separated from Christ, strangers to the promises having no hope and without God in the world. In this particular time in history, mostly Jews were coming into the kingdom of God. The road for salvation was broad to the Jews and narrow to the Gentiles. But soon that would change. Silence could not drive her away. Neither could exclusion. Says so she came and she knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Notice her posture. Notice her humility. Notice her perseverance. Notice her persistence. You have to think about the story in Luke 18 of the persistent widow, right? Even though the king may not fear God, he grows tired of her coming and knocking and knocking and knocking. She just won't give up. Do you see the gospel in this story? This woman, her great love for her daughter, right? She's willing to undergo all kinds of humiliation, all kinds of suffering and rejection if she can just have the salvation of her daughter. Do you see Christ in her? For that's what Jesus did for us. We who were sick and broken and needing a remedy, Christ came and was scorned and shamed and rejected so that we could be saved. If the silence is not enough, and the exclusion is not enough, then what many take as an insult, which I'm not sure that it is, might it drive her away? Might it crush her faith? Jesus answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. It was the custom of the Jews to refer to the Gentiles as dogs. It was an insult 
I don't think that's what Christ is doing here. There's two words that's used for dogs, and one is a wild dog, and the other one is little puppies. And I think what Christ is saying is it's not right to take the children, the Jews, bread, and give it to the puppies under the table. For at that time, again, the Gentiles were not all excluded, but they weren't coming to Christ. They weren't, didn't have the exposure to the Gospel that the Jews did. Keller says he's never seen such assertiveness. Give me what I don't deserve, Lord. Give me what I don't deserve. An appeal to extravagant grace, right? Truthfully, this woman should not even have existed had God's people done what they were supposed to do in destroying all the inhabitants of Canaan. Remember when God gave them the promised land, they were to destroy everyone, so she, she shouldn't even have been there. Faith relentlessly goes after Jesus because of who He is, not because of who we are. You hear that? Faith relentlessly goes after Jesus because of who He is, because of His mercy, because of His grace, because of His kindness, not because of who we are. Listen to what she says. I think Christ was sort of playing on words, and I think she, she caught on really quickly. She's a very winsome, wise lady, a pagan who knows how to wrestle with God. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the puppies or the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus, I hear what you're saying, but I believe you have enough for even the puppies. And if I just get a crumb, it'll be enough. If I just get a small sip from the well, it'll be enough. William Gurnell in Christian in Complete Armor says this, Never was a faithful prayer lost some prayers have a longer voyage than others, but then they return their richer with cargo at last, so that the praying soul is a gainer by waiting for the answer. And this lady knows how to persevere in prayer. She knows how not to take no for an answer. She's relentless. She's relentless. In quietness, she's relentless. In exclusion, she's relentless. In insult, she's persistent. My prayer life doesn't look like that. Maybe yours does. I wished it did. She's basically saying there's no want of water from the fountainhead, Christ. There's enough for even the puppies to lap up. 
she realizes sometimes it takes a little longer to get that rock out from over the mouth of that well. But if you'll keep straining, it's worth, it's worth it. She says, Christ, even those who are not a part of the family can enjoy the droppings from the family table. There's only two people in the Scriptures that Jesus basically attributes mega faith to, and it's this woman and the centurion. Must have been humbling for the Jews, right? Great faith. This Canaanite and the centurion. Jesus finally answers her. Says Jesus answered her and said, Woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Instantly. You know, I think when Jesus was talking to the disciples in Matthew 8 26, and it's during the storm, and he says, Why are you so afraid, O you a little faith? I think what Jesus was trying to get across to the disciples, and I think he was even trying to teach this to them here. Man, with all the things you guys have seen me do, how easily you give up. It's not that they didn't have faith, but Jesus is saying, with all the things that you have seen of me, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of the dead, Oh, you of little faith, you should have great faith. This woman who's a pagan, who's a Canaanite, has a greater faith. Remember when Jesus is talking to Philip in John 14, 9, He says, Philip, have you been with me so long and you still don't know me? Do we know Jesus like the Canaanite woman? Or have we just been so long walking with Jesus that we stopped pressing on to know Him? That we stopped beating on the door to say, Jesus, give me more. Give me more. Silence, exclusion, insult. Does it keep you from the well? Tragedy, hardship, suffering. Does it push you closer to Christ? God is a faithful God, isn't He? It's been a long time coming that the doors would fly open for the Gentiles. And this story... Is just the beginning of the door beginning to crack. And that's the reason you and I enjoy Jesus. Because God is a promise keeper. And it had been thousands and thousands of years. And finally the door would fly open to the Gentiles. And this lady, this Canaanite, 
this woman who deserved nothing, she says, I want you, Jesus, more than anything else. More than anything else, I just want you. As we sort of wrap up this time, I want you to think about what it looks like to pursue Christ like this woman. She's very wise in how she wrestles with God. Wrestle with God on His character and who He is. God, this is who you say you are. She understands that. Be persistently humble and assertive and winsome in your pursuit of God. Jesus longs to cause us to grow in our maturity. He longs to grow our faith so that we might know Him more and we might see Him more clearly. Let's pray. God, what a great story from your Scripture.